mini-episode 1493 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at Sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late-night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. It's amazing, and and one of the reasons I bring up 2012 as opposed to 2008, you and I were working together over at... uh, uh, the internet station. The old network, yes. And you and I were kind of on a, on our island. Yes. We had arguments with some of our co-workers at the time about the rise of Barack Obama. And we kind of foresaw what was going to go on. Now, his hope and change and we're not red state America, we're not blue state, we're the United States of America, had everybody goes crazy. And you have the sacrificial lamb and John McCain, who was just a cadaver at that point. Mm-hmm. And we we kind of knew the writing on the wall, and sure enough, uh, McCain got butt whipped by Obama, and that hope and change feel of like, hey, we're going in a different direction. But then we started hearing this term called a fundamental transformation of America. Mm-hmm. You're like, and the first lady said the first time that she was ever proud of her country was when her husband was winning elections. And you go, uh oh, we might be going down an interesting path. So 2008, Obama was hope and change and everything. 2012 was, if you don't vote for me, you're a racist. Mm -hmm. And that really started putting things in much different perspective because then after he wins, then it's, if I had a son, he looked like Trayvon. Or cops acted stupidly. Or there were a lot of things that Obama was saying that they weren't mistakes Mm -hmm. that were really tearing away at our society and our culture to the point where, 10 years later now in 2012 or 20, uh, 2022, there's a story that I read because uh, we're recording this in just after July 4th. There was a story that fewer Americans than ever are proud of America. Yes. And I, I, I don't have the my I don't have good service down here on my phone, but I, I would look it up. But I was reading the stats that even a lot of Republicans are not you know, that proud of America. It's like dwindling over time. Could be a convergence with Biden being president. Yeah, you might have some right as well yeah. as left. But still, you'll still have more Republicans, even with a yes. Democrat Congress yes. and Republican or Democrat president, the Republicans will still be a little bit more proud than a Democrat. Well, Democrats at this point, because of Roe versus Wade being overturned and all the, you know, the hysteria revolving around COVID and the vaccine passports and everything and Trump and everything, that in the last couple of years, it, it's even more decreased that they're not proud to be American. Jessica Chastain, the actress, put a middle finger up on Twitter the other day by basically saying, like, you know, F your reprodu- you know, reproductive rights or this is uh, or, or uh, America is a great place if you're a cisgender white man who doesn't mm-hmm. have to deal with. And you go, this spirit of what made this country great. And it, and the people who came before him, the, whether the pre, before us, the presidents, the Calvin Coolidge's that put us up on in this level and helped make Western civilization the envy. I mean, we, you know, as much as you don't like the fact that uh, America is this racist hellhole that we are, why are there still so many people crossing the border and wanting to be Americans now? 
yeah. that whether legal or illegal. We are still a great country, and the idea of America is better than any. It's still the greatest country yep. uh, around right now. It was so funny. I saw Jessica Biel, okay. who posted something the other day where she's like, Paris is great. I love being in France. This is wonderful. <laughs> they have great croissants. And oh, by the way, they care about women's rights. And then you really look it up and you go, oh, wait a second. Uh, France has way more restrictive reproductive restrictions than they do in America. America is extremely liberal, even yes. in states, even in red states like Florida. Right. There's a lot of countries in Europe that are like, yeah, no, it's reproductive rights. What, what are you talking about? You either have the baby or, uh, you know, you, you close your legs. Kind of yeah. one of those situations. So we've lost that American spirit for a lot of us. I don't know what it's going to take to get it back. So I think maybe more students should be learning about the history of the United States in longer periods. I mean, do, do kids need to go to school all year round as opposed to taking a three-month vacation during the summer? We just don't, we, we have like the Cliffs, Cliff Notes version of history, but it's not even just the Cliff Notes version of U.S. history. It's the Howard Zinn mm -hmm. Cliff Notes version of history yes. where we're only getting certain things that are sanitized thanks to uh, Scholastic and uh, McGraw-Hill and all these other uh, companies that have thrown their biases and all the way to the Ibram X. Kendi and the uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones 1619 Project and critical race theory and, and gender theory and gender queer this and that and stuff. It's like this is what's kind of breaking things up in the country. Now, this is where we get to somebody like Coolidge where promoting federalism and states' rights, and school choice. Now that's the big one, is we're yeah. hearing about school choice. We're hearing more people care about capital gains taxes and everything mm -hmm. like that. These are now finally at the forefront where maybe we are on a new precipice. Maybe we are crossing over where some of us are like, yeah, I care more about laissez-faire capitalism and economic policy or Austrian economics and learning about Murray Rothbard, learning about uh, Mises, learning about uh, the, the writings of Ron Paul. Mm -hmm. And the people are starting to really get into this while others are left behind and you know watching Netflix all day right. and Tiger King and everything. So maybe we are in a different time where a national divorce could be happening, which in some ways and a lot of historical figures would think it would be unthinkable that we would split a country into two different countries or even 50 different countries. But Hey, uh, that's what it comes down to. Like I said earlier, the values of a Florida are going to be drastically different from the values of Vermont. Yeah. And I think that's what makes America great. And that's where you did have McKinley's. You did have Coolidge. You did have some of these other kind of hands-off presidents understood that at the time. But we were also admittedly in a different country. We we're yes. in a different media and medium and it's it's just a different society now. Well, yeah, and that's where it's it's interesting as you were growing along and making your points that you subsequently mentioned, and I don't know that this name would have come to mind for me, but you put your, your finger on it as far as exemplifying it when you said Howard Zinn, because I was going to make a point about that way of thinking, but he exemplifies it perfectly with his textbooks and all of his uh, things like that, is that what progressivism has always embodied is a conditional love of country. Yeah. And like what you said about Michelle Obama and everyone else, and that when the mask drops, they'll admit it. 
they're conditionally proud of country. And listen, there are left-wing intellectuals who, and I, I check out all ranges of media here. I used to really enjoy listening to, enjoy, agreed with hardly any of it, but the Michael Brooks podcast when he was still alive before he sadly passed away. Like, I will listen to things and seek out different points of view. And the intellectually honest ones will admit that. It is based on a conditional love of country. I don't love my country unconditionally, because if you do, that means you love slavery, that means you love this, that, whatever, uh, as opposed to, uh, again, you can love your country, I think, without reservations, without excusing uh, some of the worst things that we've done over a period well, of time. It, you and I are both Catholics. Yes, yes. And I can I can love my faith. Yes. I can love uh, the tenets of Catholicism yes. while also understanding that there is a massive problem that was being covered up for many years. Yeah, the kid did the Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we are allowed to separate the two yes. by understanding that it's a nuance. It's a it's perfect point of comparison. It's all about nuance. Yes. And I think love of country and mm. the love of, I hate the word, nationalism, not white nationalism, yeah. nationalism, much different. You can say patriotism, nationalism, whatever it is, but love of country, you can understand that, yes, America per participated in some you know, pretty heinous stuff in, mm. in its history. But also, what you're looking at it through the lens of 2022, that, hey, maybe in a different... They weren't woke enough right. for us uh, back in the day. But, yeah, America did some crappy things. So did every other country. Right. And you have to take the good with the bad and understand that's all part of our history. And one of my big things, I always say this in a lot of podcasts when I talk about history, is history is not always kind. Right. Do the winners write the history books? Sometimes. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, think, I think in certain cases, but... I think nowadays when you start dwelling on the pitfalls of America mm -hmm. and not teaching children what is great about this country, if you're just going to say it's great because gay people can get married now and uh, there's three bathrooms now for somebody who's not identifies as non-binary, you're only looking at it, we're doing the Howard Zinn thing, of it's only good because it's, it's just like with the Supreme Court. Right. Supreme Court, I love the Supreme Court because... It's a liberal Supreme Court, and uh, and it's doing things that confirm my beliefs. Right. But then, as time went on, and the you know, the shift in the Supreme Court that ended up happening, now we don't love our country. Now sure. we don't love the fact that uh, we're going to politicize the court. Right. That uh, we're that we're going back to originalism instead of progressivism in the court. Mm -hmm. And it's uh and, and and by the way, I should say this now: Republicans are guilty of this too. Sure. They are guilty of bastardizing their own. Uh, view of history and trying to muddy the waters. Absolutely. And you you have neoconservatives who love to get us into Ugh. any type of war possible. Yep. You war have boners. Anywhere from the Bill Crystals of the world to Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham that mm -hmm. have never seen a war they haven't wanted us to get into. Tom Cotton. Tom Cotton. The fact that we're still sending money to Ukraine and not having any prominent Republicans say, you're, you we're sending money to Ukraine, but there are still families that are out of work and were put out because of COVID in the last couple of years, and we sent them a couple of bucks, right. essentially, if anything. Also, we're sending what, tens of billions to, over to Ukraine well, for What's going to happen when uh, you know, about a dozen planes at various points in time around the world get shot down by stingers? What are we going to have to say about that, huh? Because we're not keeping track of where they're going. Yeah, and here's your military now, is we care more about pronouns. Yep. Is that when the Navy has a video that came out uh, the last couple of weeks of uh, educating on the proper pronouns to use because you don't want to misgender somebody. And I'm like, if that's what the military is concerned about, 
while I see Russia continuing to flex their muscles, you see China and you see other Eastern countries that are like, yeah, we don't we don't buy into that. No, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be focused, that, that there shouldn't be any focus on LGBTQ rights. I, I'm all for that. I'm a sexual libertarian. You do it whatever you want. But we have to also look at priorities and strength and, uh, as a country. And if we're focused so much on, well, as long as um, we, we make sure we have more diversity in our army commercials, yeah. you know, then your your priorities have just completely gone whack. And uh, hopefully we can get to a time where we decide to finally say no. And I think the step, uh, for me being, again, a, a more paleoconservative, a, a more of a Pat Buchananite mm-hmm. of somebody that I don't want us to, I'm an isolationist. I don't want us to participate in any wars. Now, I'm not saying that you have to be weak on foreign policy, but mm-hmm. I also don't want to keep you know, lobbing cruise missiles over and killing more brown people when we're killing our own people with the influx of fentanyl and mm-hmm. uh, and, and everything that's going on in our own country. We have gun violence. We have mass shootings. We have mental illness that we're not addressing, yet we care more about Ukraine. Why? Because that's what... We're going to go over there with Raytheon and with BlackRock and all these others of trying to rebuild the country again, because that's what it's all about. It's just it's quid pro quo what's going on over there. And if you have somebody like Calvin Coolidge who didn't get us into any wars, right? Again, not weak on foreign policy, but also did not get us in there. Like you said, are you talking about tariffs and talking about a lot of what was going on in those days mm-hmm. that we didn't get ourselves into any conflict right. after World War One. Now, granted, I know a lot of people talk about Geneva Convention and uh, all of that, but there is a there is something to be said about somebody who is going to say, no, I'm not going to... And that's where my comparison that I know Amity didn't really like when I talked mm-hmm. about Trump and Coolidge is that Trump is the first modern-day president to not get us into any wars. Yeah. You know, he continued a lot of them, and, you know, the, what, the atrocities that are still to this day going on in Yemen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he didn't get us into any major wars at this time. Yeah. And I think you need to applaud that, especially for a president. I know the bar is very low, but for that to be going on, I know the more stuffy shirt East Coast uh, elitist conservatives don't like that, but it's the truth <laughs> yeah no i mean and there's nothing wrong with uh, applauding being able to stay out of uh wars the way that i describe it with myself uh i, I always go for the label of common sense non-interventionist is uh, you know not not a pacifist uh, in the sense of if, if there is a need to do something but it damn well better be a good need and it damn well better be spelled out so i mean you know coolidge standing as as a man of basically a bygone time as far as the values of America and everything like that. I mean, we've pretty well defined that as a theme and that he was kind of the end of it when he left office here. To, to start to bring it full circle on, on my end, from my perspective, I want to go back to what you said before about uh, you and I somewhat being on a little bit of an island at the uh, Sports Talk Network days. And uh, I still remember, and I think you were on it, the election night special in 2008. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was one where... Uh, I was on there and I was breaking it down and I was trying to be a pro, but it was just one of these things where I think the celebratory mood around the place and all the hopey, changey people and that kind of stuff was just getting to me because, uh, again, I I rarely don't vote third party, but I admit I voted for McCain that time. The only times I've done it, quite frankly, in the 20th century, 21st century was then and 04, just because I was like uniquely terrified of John Kerry. But those are like the only two times when I haven't gone third party. 
So, and I knew McCain wasn't going to win. I knew that it was a loser campaign and everything like that. Uh, although I was, I was fond of... It was a of, protest vote. It was a I protest vote. Thing. Yeah, I was fond of Sarah Palin before she really completely flipped her disco. I was fond of her at that moment in time and hoped that she would become the next president. But the one moment in time, I will always cherish this, and I subsequently apologized to my friend for the remark <laughs> I made, but I got so heated. It's the only time Paul Belfi ever <laughs> called me out for unprofessionalism <laughs> because I said on the air, just capturing the mood of everything like that. And I happened to single in on one of our friends as being representative of this. And I ranted into the microphone that it is an atrocity that we live in a country where Anthony Patron's vote can cancel out my own. <laughs> it was just, Anthony wasn't even listening. I told him about it later. I'm like, hey man, I'm sorry. I got a little carried away, whatever. But the fact that like Belfi of all people, a classic hypocritical move on his part, calling me unprofessional yeah, for having yeah, done exactly. that. Yeah, uh, exactly. Of, of all the sexual jokes that he would make. And, uh, <laughs> you know, but that was, that was an example of it right there. And like that moment in 08, that was just sort of, to, to me, that's a thing like uniquely sort of reflective of the age that we live in. When we talk about Coolidge being a bygone figure, I don't know that to me he ever felt like more of one than he did on that night. Yeah. And, you know, you talk about third party. And I think that is one where if a Calvin Coolidge ran today, it would split the vote. Yep. And you and I had a long conversation many years ago talking about Ross Perot. Mm -hmm. And I think you said that was your first election, maybe? Uh, my first was, uh, HW and 88. 88. Okay. So it was one of them, but the Ross Perot splitting the vote of a lot of Reagan conservatives and you saw what, uh, you know, you know, read my lips, no new taxes. And then there's new taxes. Mm -hmm. And you realize that George HW Bush was just a, just a feckless leader, got us into a stupid war in the desert storm. And really just never took off of like being the, as we talked about earlier, as being mm-hmm. the successor to Ronald Reagan. Yep. So because of that, you had a lot of, you had somebody like Ross Perot who came on board and kind of showcased what he can do economically as we headed into towards the 21st century of what could be a possibility. Mm-hmm. And a lot of conservatives said, yeah, I mean, look. I, I I would prefer who's ever going to be the Democrat candidate to not win, but this guy is the right idea. And yep. what it did is it split the vote, and Bill Clinton, obviously, and the rest is history, what you see from the entire Clinton family mm-hmm. uh, in the last 30 years that we've seen since Whitewater. The third-party candidates that have popped up have just really not been as effective. But in 2012, I, I voted for Ron Paul. I went Ron Paul yep. that time because... You and I talked about it, and mm-hmm. we, we made our protest vote for John McCain in 2008. We held our nose, and yep. that was my first actual election because I was 20 years old at the time. By 2012, and we had had a lot of conversations because we were kind of on the Rand Paul train, I right. believe, and Rand just wasn't there yet. He's right. there now. Right. He's absolutely, he's been outstanding when he's been holding Fauci to the fire and everything that's been going on during the COVID uh, regime, but... In 2012 and 2016, Rand Paul was not there. So, uh, and I was not a Mitt Romney guy, and I know you called him mittens yeah. Uh, yeah. as a pejorative. Loathed them. And sure enough, what, what did he do? He was just he, all he was was just a namby pamby. I'm a you know, I'm a conservative who I'm religious, and I'm this and and Paul Ryan and uh, another one with his widow's peak and oh, I work out to rage against the machine. Good for you. Yeah. The Republicans need to get their butts kicked, and they did yeah. in order to try to regroup after the Tea Party movement. 
Uh, but I was a Ron Paul guy because I'm like, you know what? This Ron Paul is the right idea. I wasn't on board in 08 because I, I think I read a lot of fake stories about him talking about space aliens and everything. I'm like, mm-hmm. ah, this guy's a little bit of a nutso for me. And then you look into him and you say, this man is this man's brilliant. Mm-hmm. And that's why I decided I'm going third party and I'm voting because I know Obama's going to win the second term, but I need to go third party. So if you had a Calvin Coolidge or somebody who was just a very heavy policy person that would be on that big stage for a, whether it's a Republican or even a Democrat, who knows? Uh, but I, I think more, let's be honest, would be more Republican heading into 2024. We all know that if Trump decides he's going to run, he has a very good shot at winning. Mm-hmm. If Trump is, feels that he's getting a little old or whatever the case is, it's probably going to be Ron DeSantis. But who is the next Calvin Coolidge? Is there a Calvin Coolidge that is in our Congress right now? If anything, I'm a big Thomas Massey guy. Mm-hmm. I think he's just fantastic. I think he kind of is in that like true small government type of conservative libertarian. And that's uh, that's non-interventionalist. Uh, I think he's somebody that to, to kind of watch out for as time goes on. But again, I don't know if there's going to be somebody that is just like, guys, I just I just want to get my job done and go home. Like I yeah. want to clock in, I want to clock out. We're, we we don't have that type uh, in our DNA, whether it's Republican or Democrat. Yeah, no, that is definitely the case. And uh, you know, when I look at the last couple of candidates that I had voted for for uh, for president in the general election, I don't know so much that. Uh, and you know, I, I I did like her in 2020, but I, I mo- it was mostly that she was the the, the only third party candidate that didn't make me wretch Joe Jurgensen. It was also good for pissing off the Hillary people. Yeah. I'm with her, yes. you know, so that was good. But Daryl Castle in 2016, and uh, the, the the former Republican congressman in 2012 who ran with the, on the Constitution Party line, and I cannot remember his name at the moment. It, it is it is eluding me. It's not Bill Weld, is it? No. It was, oh, no, 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 no. Wouldn't have voted for that. <laughs> not in a million years, Bill buddy. Weld. And by the way, Gary Johnson, uh, what a disappointment. See, here's what, so I've leaned and I've learned a lot about libertarian policy and politics mm-hmm. over time, and, and I think they're getting better. They have uh, what's called the Mises Caucus and yes. the Mises Institute down in uh, Auburn, Alabama. Mm-hmm. And they have a lot of really good people that are a part of it that are kind of taking over that caucus and getting away from some of the woke left-wing libertarianism that's going on. Mm-hmm. Where they're just basically – and then you would have – but you, they ended up having the Bill Welds and the Gary Johnsons who were basically right. uh, you know, uh, pretty you know, lackluster Republicans who said – Hi guys, I'm changing party. I'm going right. to be a libertarian, and and Joe Jorgensen was ah, just not impressive. Yeah, not impressive. And she had there was one tweet that she had that that it wasn't from her. I think it was a staffer under her name mm-hmm. that was right after the George Floyd. Because this is when you know, stay home, stay safe. You can't go to a playground. You can't go to a beach. But then, uh, oh, George Floyd's dead. You can go protest with tens of thousands of people. And libertarians should have been the ones to say. Yeah, you should go protest, but you should also do whatever you want. Instead, they said, well, you should probably wear a mask, and it's not enough to be uh, passively not racist. You need to be actively anti-racist. I'm like, did Bernie Sanders write this? (laughs) Did Elizabeth Warren, did Pocahontas, uh, she, her, on Twitter? 
And it, I, they just fell apart. And I'm like, gosh, the libertarian movement just needs a kick in the pants right now. Well, the in, in 2012, I just looked it up, the Constitution Party candidate, Virgil Goode, he was somebody, a congressman from Virginia. He was a ball weevil Democrat who switched Republican, I think probably in the late 90s. One of those Dixiecrats. Dixiecrats who became a Republican, and then he ran... Uh, third party in 2012, I voted for, I was like really impressed by him. I thought he was really good. And he was somebody I think that was actively kind of paleocon. So yeah, I mean, when you're talking about the heirs to Calvin Coolidge today, I mean, that shows you how marginalized it is, unfortunately, that, that it comes to this, you know, but uh, again, just, uh, I keep coming back to, you know, a bygone time, a bygone, you know, kind of place. And, and he represented in you know, a sort of the end of that America and that America of, restraint of government officials, humility of it, not having the godlike complex uh, that I'm president, I can do whatever by, by my fiat powers that I think I have. I mean, he was the last one I think we ever had who, who really felt restrained by that. So, I mean, I, I, that's, that's kind of my depressing, okay, as I bring it full circle, that's kind of my depressing thoughts on it. Uh, how, how, would, how would you sum up basically you know, what he meant and, and, and where that led us to. Well, where I look at some of these conservatives that have fallen in line of looking at Calvin Coolidge, and I, I always make the joke, I, I half joke about this, but I've, I've said it on my podcast, if we go to Mount Rushmore, if there's a way we can explode the <laughs> Teddy Roosevelt and Abraham Lincoln off of there yeah. and uh, have a contest to see who the other two would be, and in my opinion, the, the three that would be up there, and one of them has to be knocked out, it's the one of those FMK type of situations, is I would put up there Ron Paul, Pat Buchanan, and Clarence Thomas. Okay. Because all three of them are people who, when you start looking at their policy and what they have, some of their writings, fall in line with the Calvin Coolidge uh, type of, you know, when you have Clarence Thomas, who is an originalist. Mm -hmm. And when you look at policy and Ron Paul, and Pat Buchanan, when he ran for the Republican ticket and then eventually the Reform Party, that the big thing was fiscal policy. Yeah. And that's what Calvin Coolidge is a part of, was fiscal policy and constitutionalism. And we have gotten away from that. It doesn't matter which party you're looking at, whether you're you know, a fan of Joe Biden, if you're riding with Biden or if you're Donald Trump, you're on the Trump train. Mm -hmm. We've gotten away from the tenets of the Constitution and getting away from that and looking at the... Um, what everything is, it, it, it bringing that power back to the people, and, and I mean, if, if you look, I actually have a tattoo that says "We the People" yeah. that is on my arm right the now. The actual script, no less. And it's it, it's one of those. I cases. respect that a lot more than if it was like stencil. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. no, I just it's, it's washing off in the shower. It's uh, it's one of those <laughs> henna tattoos. And what "We the People" is is should be the most inclusive thing. It's not "We the White People." It's yep. not "We the Straight People." Yep. It's "We the People." Yep. And you need somebody who is a constitutionalist who will get us back into those days and understanding the importance of people's vote and the importance of the freedom that people have. And during the Coolidge administration, like I said about how you have an umpire who does not try to make himself part of the game. Yep. That's what Calvin Coolidge did as a president. He did not make himself part of the larger part of the conversation where every single day we have to complain about the president. Yep. He didn't do that during Coolidge. And that's why when we look at the Roaring Twenties, we never equate the Roaring Twenties with Coolidge, even though we should. Right. It's because you didn't know who the president was. You didn't care who the president was. Everything's yep. great. Yep. And if the American people can be docile enough to feel that 
hey, everything's great, and I don't have to wake up and complain about the president today. Yeah. That's a good country. It's a yeah. great country, and that's what Calvin Coolidge kind of embodied in those days. And again, are we going to find a Calvin Coolidge? Is there? Are we going to reverse course? Are we going to return to Monk, as well, some would say, and go backwards a little bit? But not backwards uh, in like a, a mental feeling of, but a lot of people moving towards into the to this out of the cities and into the countryside and you know that can change some of the demographics when it comes to voting when you look at the politics of it sure. but the culture of it you all, and, and as Andrew Breitbart has said that Andrew, that uh, politics is downstream from culture mm-hmm. that you have to look at the cultural aspect and if you're somebody that you have a president that isn't even worried about the cultural culture war is just trying to get through the nitty gritty yeah and we kind of need to go back in those days instead of having presidents start to fight the culture war because it's not really going to work out well for them. Yeah, I, I just I find the culture war nauseating. It's the reason I don't listen to hardly any talk radio anymore. I just steer away and tune out from so much stuff. And again, to, to back up what you're saying, I would love to live in a country where I don't even think about who the president is in the course of a day. That, that sounds like yep. Nirvana, basically, what they had in the 20s. They didn't think about him at all, and that might be the nicest thing you can say about him. But uh, you, you summed it up very well. Tony Mazur, as I, I knew that you would, uh, appreciate your time. My good friend, longtime FDH lounge dignitary and proprietor of the outstanding Check Your Brain podcast, uh, available uh, through standard uh, channels, uh, Apple Podcasts uh, among those, as well as the uh, Patreon. So go check that out. Uh, Tony, once again, thank you so much for your time, my friend. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Rick. It's, uh, I cover the culture war on my podcast because uh, I'm not a political expert, but I see the rot that's going on in the culture. Mm-hmm. So I like to look at the politics and apply some of the culture to it because I, I feel I'm a little bit closer to that than being somebody who can be a, a, a political expert. Mm-hmm. But yeah, go check out my podcast. It's uh, free every Wednesday. I got a podcast coming up tomorrow where we rip on the Maxwell Show. Okay, uh, which is uh, really fun from back in the day. It's a local Cleveland reference. Um, but uh, and then my Patreon, I put up about four podcasts a week at Patreon.com/slash Tony Mazur, T O N Y M A Z U R. Five bucks a month. Yeah, it is uh, well worth it. Uh, I can say that uh, from experience here. And as far as you tackling the uh, the culture war on your show. I might perhaps say you're a bigger masochist in that regard than I am. I'm just like, I'm not going to deal with that crap. I, I see enough of it on Twitter. But, uh, yeah, your, your show, truly outstanding, the Check Your Brain podcast with Tony Mazur. Thank you, Tony. And uh, thank you, everybody, for checking out our salute to President Calvin Coolidge on the 150th anniversary of his birth.